Welcome to The Inquisitive VC. Today I'm speaking to Brandon Kumar. Brandon is a co-founder of Layer 3, a platform that enables anyone to contribute to a decentralized autonomous organization or a DAO. Prior to this, Brandon was the vice president at Accolade Partners, a fund of funds where he focused on crypto fund investments. We talk about Brandon's journey from investing to founding a company, DAOs, Layer 3, raising money, and more. I hope you enjoy this episode. First off, thanks for jumping on again. I appreciate you taking out the time. Um, I wanted to start with your time at Accolade. How was that? And what would you say were your biggest learnings there? Yeah, so for a little bit of context, um, joined Accolade when I was actually an undergrad. So that was in 2014. I was studying economics at George Washington University and was spending pretty much half my week um, at Accolade. And at the time, they didn't have a dedicated crypto effort. So I was spending most of my time uh, on, the, on the venture side of things, but also on growth equity and, and traditional lower middle market buyout across technology and healthcare. In 2017, the firm made its first fund investment in, um, in, a, in a crypto fund. It was Andreessen's first dedicated crypto effort. And that sort of earmarked my foray into the space because I started to just pay attention to it kind of recreationally on nights and weekends. In 2019, uh, we had been following the space passively and it became very clear that there were uh, a, a number of changes from 2017 to 2019 that made it apparent for us to enter the space with a dedicated product. Um, so, you know, the, the, the number of funds that were focused exclusively on crypto had uh, increased massively. There was a massive talent migration from traditional Web 2 to Web 3. From a regulatory perspective, there was a lot of clarity. And so we came to market with $125 million fund of funds. Uh, with the thesis being institutional LPs want diversified exposure to a nascent asset class and a fund of funds is a great tool for them to do so. Uh, that product was impeccably timed because we made most of our early commitments right before the market started to take off, right before DeFi summer happened in 2020. Um, and a lot of different things started to find product market fit in the industry. And so I uh, was spending more and more of my time on that product and less and less of my time on some of the other efforts at Accolade. And my nights and weekends started to be consumed with spending time in and around a lot of the communities um, that are really popular today, principally within DeFi and just figuring out ways that I can get involved beyond just being kind of like a passive investor. And during DeFi summer, obviously that meant just being kind of an active participant in these networks, but over a longer period of time, that also meant just finding ways that I could help on the qualitative side of things, whether it was putting out content or connecting with the core contributors. And um, in doing so, I realized that there was a lot broken about the contribution process within DAOs. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that DAOs are relatively new and the tooling to service them uh, hasn't really matured in the same way that the actual DAO ecosystem has. So there are way more DAOs than there are sophisticated tooling to manage them. And, um, and that was kind of how I got excited about the problem space that my now co-founder and I are pursuing. Um, just quickly on kind of how I came to layer three, I had connected with my co-founder um, in the spring of this year. At the time he was building uh, under the same branding, uh, a growth marketing effort for DeFi. And what that meant was taking traditional web to growth marketing efforts and applying those to DeFi communities. And he had started with the Rari Capital community which was um, a project that I had been excited about and been following from afar. And what he was doing really resonated with me. And so I just reached out to be an advisor. And then one of the concepts that he dropped was this, this thing called Bucketless as a Service. And the, the acronym 
I was blast. And the basic concept was do things in the real world and then uh, get rewarded for governance tokens as a result. And it became very clear to both of us that you could productize that into a coordination tool for DAOs. And it also became very clear that we would make a very good team. And so we decided to pursue this together. Super long-winded, but I thought that would be a helpful context. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, and why DAOs? So you've been around crypto for a while now. What do you really see, I guess, in the DAO space that got you really excited? Yeah, I mean, I think the dirty little secret about, about DAOs is that the coordination model doesn't really work in, in a lot of places. I mean, a lot of communities taunt themselves as, as DAOs, but in, in the true essence of being decentralized and open communities, they, they really aren't. Um, in many instances, it's kind of just friends sending other friends, you know, stables or Ethereum to write blog posts or, or push for the community. And it's actually more of like a kind of a, a girls and boys club than, than like certain elements of kind of traditional tech or traditional finance. And so... I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you have kind of this barbell of contribution that exists within DAOs. And on one side, you have shit posters who just spend their time on Twitter and they're kind of evangelizing the brand, but they're not really getting anything out of it. And then on the other side, you have core contributors who maybe are paid on like a quarterly or monthly basis from, um, from the DAO itself. And I think there were there is a lot of uh, idle human capital that sits in the middle and that's kind of where I sat, where you're a passive investor in these in these communities, you're sophisticated enough within crypto to understand uh, what it is that they're trying to accomplish, but you just don't have the tools to, to participate and you're not going to spend the, the time and effort to actually figure out what the contribution process is. Like I, I often will say that contributing to a DAO is the, the virtual equivalent of climbing through barbed wire. You have to get into Discord, you have to then connect with the core contributor. The tooling is a combination of Airtable, Notion, Google Sheets. So just a really broken process. And, and most people aren't going to spend the time to do that because if they have a few hours in the evening, like the turnaround time on that process is just, it's just too long. Um, so it's just a very soft part of crypto that I think um, there's a lot of room to, to build really creative things. And I think what we're building at layer three will uh, help solve the coordination side of DAOs, but also help enable a lot of folks to get off the sidelines and start participating in this asset class. Yep. No, fair enough. I think it's definitely an exciting space. What are your thoughts around coordination in DAOs and how final decisions are made compared to traditional tech companies? What I mean by that is you probably heard of the Synthetics DAO and how Kane left and then he came back um, saying that he wants a seat on the council to create you know better direction for the DAO. How do you think that kind of plays out for DAOs over the long term to have like one leader? Yeah, look, I think there are a lot of people uh, much smarter than me trying to solve DAO coordination in, in, with respect to your question. And I, I think um, the honest answer is that none of us really know. Uh, you're creating like an open source system that's trying to accomplish a lot at a, at a ridiculously fast pace. And in some ways, you do need to have kind of a, a core contributing team that's sort of steering the ship. Um, I think over time, we alongside the growth of DAO tooling will come to a come to a place in the ecosystem where you can have folks like Kane or Robert Leshner still be kind of the figureheads of their communities, but for them to uh, really have no formal decision-making power. It, it's basically them saying, hey, this is what I think the community should do. And then the community looks to folks like that to actually pursue it, but by no means can that person be sort of a, um, you know, a stopping force on the progress of what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, sure. That's fair enough. What would you say is the vision that you have for Layer 3 over the next you know, five years? Where do you see it going? Yeah, so I mean, our go-to-market is uh, creating a marketplace 
where on one side you have DAOs, and we're starting primarily with DeFi DAOs, but we do hope to expand to you know NFT communities, social communities. And then on the other side of that marketplace, you have contributors like you and me who have you know maybe an hour or two um, you know after we finish our day jobs or on the weekends where we want to get involved and, and basically earn our way into governance. And those contributors come to our marketplace, they complete and claim tasks, and they 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 earn these governance tokens for doing so. Over time, what we plan to do is begin uh, decentralizing elements of this. So. Uh, in, in sort of six months, what we hope to do is say, well, if you have contributed a certain number of tasks, you can now validate tasks on the layer three platform. And so now you're, you're creating an environment where peer validation occurs. So you come to the platform, you complete a task. I, as a validator, can also come and earn crypto by validating that you actually did that. And then in the final state, what we hope to create is a protocol where anyone can come to layer three, post an atomic task. Another person can come claim and complete that task, and then it's validated by a third party in a completely decentralized, permissionless way. So you're creating an environment where you can validate very bespoke, very atomic off-chain behavior on-chain, and that can then be coupled with an on-chain resume to allow you to do other things in the ecosystem. So I think right now, when you look at sort of the landscape of, of, of projects that are going after something like this, Rabbit Hole is doing an incredible job of building an on-chain resume. So you do on-chain behavior and you earn governance tokens. We are trying to create essentially the same thing, but you're doing off-chain behavior and you're earning governance tokens. And I think that's a powerful combo. Yeah, definitely. The whole on-chain resume thing is definitely going to be the future of hiring in, in Web3, no doubt. You've been on the other side of this world where you are investing into funds um, and you've seen how venture funds work. Um, and now you, you've seen how DAOs work. And now there's a range of, you know, investment DAOs in the space, actively making investments. There's a lot of talk about how um, investment DAOs are the future of venture capital. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have mixed thoughts on this because I think one of the beliefs that we had at Accolade is that if you are um, a truly incredible investor, you have independent thinking. And independent thinking and, and contrarianism is a very hard thing to foster in a DAO by pure virtue of the fact that you need consensus to make investments. And so I think in a market environment, like we've seen over the past 18 months, those communities will do really well because you're enabling folks to participate in the upside when everything seems to be, seems to be doing well. But in a bear market, it'll be interesting to see how they go about sustaining because when you look at some of the best crypto native venture firms, they were making very contrarian bets in bear markets. And, and those bets they were only able to make because of the structure that they were operating in, which meant that they were a traditional fund structure and their investment committees had built in uh, the policies that enabled people to make investment decisions without like the broader consent. And I think that that over multiple decades and multiple asset classes has always been a recipe for success within those types of firms. And so you're gonna to have to figure out a way to implement the rules within investment DAOs to, to enable that same type of decision-making. Yeah, that's a great point. And what about the argument that, you know, most DAOs will eventually become investment DAOs because of the treasuries that they manage? <laughs> I, I think there is a massive white space for uh, sound DAO treasury management. In part, that's why we're building what we're building because they have, uh, like DAOs today can't find enough productive places to put their, their their treasuries to work. And that has a lot to do with just like poor coordination tools and, and poor treasury diversification tools. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that there are some, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, market cap projects that have billions of dollars in the native token on their balance sheet is very concerning. And I think it's one of those lessons that unfortunately we're going to have to learn when the market turns and the price of those assets capitulates and then the balance sheet kind of capitulates alongside that. And then from that, I think people will be forced to think a little bit more quantitatively and um, rationally about how they go about allocating those funds. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, after spending a long time investing into venture funds, you ended up raising money for layer three. How was that experience being on the other side of the table? Yeah, I mean, I think it's no secret that it's a great time to be a founder in the current market. There are a lot of funds being raised, and I, I saw that and I felt that at Accolade. And, and we were kind of in the pole position to be one of the first calls that a lot of those funds made. So I, I had like, I was in a fairly privileged seat in, in understanding how they think about things. And then when I was on the other side, I mean, like, you know, anecdotally, what I'll say is that the funds that had the best reputation from the LP side certainly match that when you're on the other side of the table pitching them. They have a, a great way of just connecting with founders, asking the right questions, um, adding value, whether they invest or whether they don't, and just continuing to like develop and invest in that relationship. So, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I, I, I think for the next few months until, you know, whether regulation comes out or, or something causes the market to, to cool off, it, it'll be just a, a great time to be raising capital. And uh, it, yeah, so for me, I kind of came out of the gates with just a, a good Rolodex of folks to call on. And I, I knew exactly who I wanted to spend time with. And it ended up working out in a pretty painless way. Is there any advice you could give to founders who are pre-product, pre-revenue trying to raise yeah, I, I, look, at, at the end of the day, you, you want to construct a round of folks that um, you think are going to be there when, like I said, I've mentioned this a few times kind of in this interview, but when the market turns, you want to make sure that you have folks that are in your corner. And I think you see a lot of founders from time to time go uh, and raise from maybe one or two funds and, you know, funds who maybe shall remain nameless will typically try and take the whole round. And I think that's a really bad dynamic. You want to construct a round where you have a healthy balance of of funds who, you know, their check size is meaningful relative to their fund size, but also you have angels there because both of those, those types of investors can really be valuable when things start to, when shit starts to hit the fan. So my primary piece of advice is just be patient, make sure you get the optimal round construction. Don't go with the first person that offers you a term sheet. And then the, the second thing is, is that if you don't find success early on, just be persistent, you know, continue iterating. Uh, there are plenty of ways to raise money in crypto today. You can get grants committees to, to fund you with 25, 50K checks just to bootstrap your way until you get to a, a larger seed or a larger Series A. Yeah, that's some great advice. Is there any advice that you could give someone new to crypto, how they could probably handle, you know, wading into the waters? Since crypto is quite a big thing now, there's a lot of different areas to look at, DeFi, NFTs. Um, how do you as well personally keep a track with, you know, what's really going on? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think the best way to do it is to, to start paying attention to just a handful of communities. So from an investment perspective, you know, don't try and get fancy, set an allocation that you think makes, makes sense and is going to kind of capture the upside regardless of what happens in certain pockets of the ecosystem. And then from a participation perspective, find a few projects that really resonate with you and just spend time in their discords. Founders and, and core contributing teams are incredibly accessible. So ping them, ask them questions, find ways to get involved. And then from there, you will in, invariably find kind of what it is that excites you most about this space. And, and maybe that'll end up pushing you to leave wherever you are currently, whether it's like a Web2 tech job or traditional finance and kind of enter crypto full time. 
So kind of the generic advice, but I, I do generally speaking, generally speaking, think that that's the best approach. No, that's a great point. Finally, could you talk about what is a secret obsession of yours that not many people know about? Is this within crypto or outside of crypto? Uh, anything, whatever you think might be uh, interesting. I don't know if this is a secret obsession, but I, I will say that um, I think spending time, like it, COVID in particular forced people to spend a tremendous amount of time in, in front of screens. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, for me, like my one of my biggest hobbies is kind of just like endurance sports. Uh, I'm like forced to unplug and like spend two hours like getting a workout in. So I, I like to do like long distance running, long, long distance biking, um, you know, swimming, those types of things. And I think a lot of people don't realize the clarity that comes from having just two hours, not looking at a screen or just not having any type of input. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like an obsession of mine. And so I always try and carve out the time to make sure that I have that in my day. That's a great, uh, great point And a great reminder, I guess, to, to take a little bit of a break. Yeah, exactly. That's all I had, Brandon. Thanks so much for jumping on. I had a great time talking, you know, about the the details of DAOs and, and how Layer 3 is going to make things uh, very different. Yeah, no, this was a great conversation. And I appreciate the questions.